Hallelujah. Father, we just come before your word now. We come before you to hear from you, to receive from your word, to receive what you would have to, to say to us tonight. So we want to open our hearts to everything that you would, 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 would say to us and would teach us tonight. So we, we open our hearts and we thank you that you give us wisdom and revelation and, we, and, and, and open the eyes of our understanding to what your word has to say in Jesus' name. I think I am actually getting some feedback from this. Um, is it possible just to put this, the, the, the volume coming through the speakers down very slightly? Let's open to Psalm 1. Anyone ever heard anything from Psalm 1 before? Does anyone know Psalm 1? Anyone, anyone quote Psalm 1? What does it say? Blessed, blessed is the man. Let's read this. Blessed is the man. Now I don't think anything's coming through. But it's all right, I can preach loud enough. Blessed is the man. Yeah, that's better. Blessed is the man who walks not. This, this, psalm, this psalm starts off saying how not to do it. It says, don't, don't go that way. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the, in the path of sinners, nor, uh, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, you know, the Bible in the book of Proverbs lays out for us that there are two paths. And there's the path of the righteous, there's the path of the wicked. And uh, the Bible's very clear. These paths don't meet, do they? Uh, you're on one or the other. And, and, and what's God's advice? What, what does God say about the path of the wicked? He, 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 in Proverbs, you read Proverbs 1, 2, 3, 4, he, the, you, you find word, phrases like depart, get out, don't go near that path. Don't, don't go on that path. Now, is God, is, is God trying to ruin our fun? Is that why he says don't go on this path, don't go on that path? Is he just trying to control everything? Because he he's a control freak and he wants to tell you how you can do it and how you can't do it. Is he just trying to mess up, mess up and, and, and steal the fun of the human race? Why does he say don't walk on those paths? Why, do, why does he give such strong advice and say, stay away, get out of that path, don't go down that way? Because It's because, it, what did you say, Elise? Because it leads. It's because of where that path leads. It's because of where that path goes. And, and what, that, what that path results in and what it causes. Now, at any point in human history, does that change? Just because as human beings we become culturally developed, does the spiritual path that God says don't walk on, does it change and now it's okay to walk on that now? Do you realize that even God himself doesn't walk on that path? This is the thing I've begun to realize more and more about God is that the things that he tells us, it's not just him dictating and pointing to us. He does these things too. He doesn't walk on that path. He knows what happens on that path. Now, God abides outside of time. He's, God's more scientifically advanced and more culturally developed and more whatever you want to say than we are in the 21st century. And yet he still doesn't walk down that path. God knows at no time does that path become okay to walk on because of where it leads. Where does it lead? 
destruction, death, darkness. See, God won't walk on that path because he will not allow darkness and death and destruction inside himself. Can you imagine what would happen to heaven if God allowed darkness into heaven like we allowed it onto the earth? Now, that's an unimaginable thought, really. When you think of heaven, you think about the glory of God. You think about light. You think about the presence of God. Can you think of anybody sick in heaven? How many of you think right now the Apostle Paul's sitting up in heaven with cancer? How many of you think Peter, Peter might be blind up in heaven? Maybe John's deaf. Well, isn't heaven a place where God is being glorified? Well, surely if these things glorified the Lord, then they should all have them up there. See, this is what people thought oh, might be glorifying the Lord, that, that thing. Well, if it glorifies the Lord, then, then let's pray for eternity. We all have cancer for heaven because, for, for, in heaven because it glorifies the Lord. And now all of you go, no, 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 no. What makes us think it'll glorify him down here when it doesn't glorify him up there? Did Jesus say, pray, our Father who child in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, in the same way that your will is being done in heaven, let it be done on the earth. What, is, what does that phrase tell you? There's a little bit of insight in that phrase. If he says pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that implies it's not being done. Why would he say pray it? Some people think everything that happens on the earth is the will of the Lord. Then that prayer is redundant. Jesus didn't need to say, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if his will is automatically being done on the earth. See, the earth is an environment where his will is not automatically done, but heaven is an environment where his will is being fully done. And in an environment where his will is being fully carried out, there's no darkness, there's no destruction, there's no death, there's no nothing. What does that tell you about his will? But you see, God will not allow inside himself, he will not yield to, he will not even allow in the throne room anything that contaminates his environment. If you get this revelation, you begin to, you begin to realize some things. Um, we're going to talk about us in a minute. What happened when Lucifer yielded? You, do you know that Lucifer... We call him the devil now. Lucifer walked in the, in the very throne room, in the very presence of God, and yet he yielded to darkness and he allowed pride and he allowed things inside of himself that God had kept out of his throne room for eternity past. But Lucifer led it inside himself and Lucifer walked in the presence of God. What does that mean? Lucifer brought that stuff into the throne room. What happened to Lucifer? Jesus said, I, fall, I, saw face, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. God removed that straight out of his throne room. Lucifer led it in him, so he had to go too. <laughs> the problem is what Lucifer had led inside of himself. God will not have that in his throne room. 
What happened when Adam and Eve yielded to, to, to these things? What, what happens when Adam and Eve chose to walk on a path? God said, don't go down that path. God wasn't trying to steal their fun. God knew what's on that path, what it'll lead to, what it'll cause. What happened when Adam and Eve, God threw them out, said, out the garden. Why? God didn't want that stuff in. See, God protects his environment. Why? Because he knows how dangerous that stuff is. And when he says, don't walk on that path, he's not just dictating to us, he's showing us how he abides. And he wants his kids to walk like he walked. Isn't there a scripture that says that? We're to walk like he walked. Didn't, didn't God say, be holy as I am holy? Are we not to be conformed to the image of Christ, become like him? See, he's wanting us to walk like he walks. Well, in God's environment where he does not let darkness and death and destruction in, he doesn't walk down that path. Notice this as well. It's also an environment of life where life flows. As I said, there's no sickness, there's no, there's no death, destruction, there's no nothing. There's no tornadoes in heaven. You don't get hurricane warnings, <laughs> earthquake warnings. Meteor about to hit the, hit, hit, hit the throne room warnings. And, get, and you know what else you get? You, you've got an environment where God's glory is able to flow and manifest without any restraint or hindrance. To manifest in its fullest. Would you agree with me the throne room is a place where God's glory is in full manifestation? Wow. That's amazing. Now, what do you think? Why do you think he's trying to get us to walk like that? Do you, do you think that the benefits he walks in and he experiences, he would like his kids to walk in and experience? His glory to flow in our lives, light and life and glory to flow in us just like it flows through him. It's going to come a point where, where the body of Christ walks in this so much we become glorified. But it's not going to happen as long when we're just walking on the other path. This isn't the main, I'm, still, I'm trying to get where I, I want to get to the, the other path. But God distinguishes two paths, doesn't he? And you know, it's becoming clearer and clearer which people, who, who are the people who want to walk with God and who are the people who don't? Who are the people who are just playing church? Who are the ones who want to just play around on the path and, and excuse away why it's okay to walk on the wrong path and still, still walk with God? You know, the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? God ain't walking on that path because he ain't in agreement with that path. And if we're on that path, there ain't no way you're walking close to him. You want to walk closer to God, you walk on the path he's on. Is this true? See, the, 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 the enemy wants to, wants to get the church just to think, we, it's okay to go however we want to. But no, we, 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 need to, we need to walk on the path that he's laid out. There's two paths. That'll never change. Right up until the return of Jesus, doesn't matter what happens in the world, doesn't matter how scientifically advanced we become or whatever, those paths are spiritual. They never change. And, and we have to decide which one we're on. Now, what does he say in Psalm 1? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So he tells you how not to walk, but then does he, how does he tell us to walk? What's, what, what, is, what does he say? Walks not, is anyone looking at Psalm 1? 
walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but, this is where it's going to change, isn't it? But his delight is where? Do you think, here it says the law of the Lord, we would say the word. Do you think that walking in the word is walking in the path God wants you to walk in? Do you see here, he said, don't walk in that way, but walk in this way. The contrasting way that he wants us to walk and that he wants every believer to walk in is the way of the word. Do you see that? Many Christians say, I don't, I don't need the word. I can still walk with God my way. No, you can't. You, you might walk with some kind of spirit pretending to be the things of God, but you cannot walk. I've never quite said it like that before, but anyway, it's true. You cannot walk with God without walking the path that his word lays out. You throw the word out, you can't walk on the path he's on. The word gives us the path. These Christians today think the word of God's not necessary. We don't need that. We can walk with Jesus without the word. No, you can't. Jesus was the word. How can you walk with Jesus who is the word by discarding the word out of your life and saying we don't need the word? You can't walk with him like that. But, but, but notice this. The contrasting path that he says we're to walk in is what? The path of the word. Now, hold your place in Psalm 1, or if you're looking at an electronic Bible, we'll go back there in a minute. But just jump with me quickly to Proverbs 4. Can we just invent the path of the righteous the way we think the path of the righteous is? Do we just come up with, well, I think this is what a righteous path, godly path is, so I'll walk this way. Is it up to us to invent it and come up with, or does he lay it out and say the word is the path? Now, if the word is the path, is there ever a time when his word becomes unnecessary in the life of a Christian? Is there ever a time when, you know, maybe you've spent a couple of years in Bible school, you've really studied hard, now you know the word a lot, now we need a break from that, now we need something else. I know many Christians think, I've been in the word for a few years now, I need something else. No, you don't. It's the, it's the enemy that thinks you, that, that wants to sit on your shoulder telling you you want something else, because if he can get you out of the word, he can get you off the path, and he can also get you out of walking in a lot of what God has for your life. So how do I protect this as a Christian? Hold fast to the word. Always walk the path of the word. Doesn't matter if I've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. I maintain the path. Now look at Proverbs 4. Verse 11. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. You see the paths again. Is that, is that word plural or single? It's, it's plural there because there's more than one path, isn't there? There's the, but now, now, now verse 14, we'll just jump through this. Verse 14 says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Is that just some good advice or is that an optional idea? Not if you want to walk close with God, it's not. He says, don't walk on that path. Then verse 18 he says, but the path of the just, we might say the path of the righteous. Do you see here he's pointing out two paths? 
Did Jesus ever talk about two, two, two different routes, two different paths? Did Jesus say, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way or the path that leads to life. Did Jesus say there's 17 paths? Did Jesus say there's six paths that lead to death and there's four paths that lead to life? How many paths does God distinguish? Two. Now, the path of the just, what path is that? The narrow path, yeah, Jesus said. But let's keep going. Verse 18. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter until the perfect day. The way of the wicked. Now, he's, going, he's telling you a little bit about the other path now, isn't he? The way or the path. It's the same thing, way or path. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now notice verse 20. My son... He's just told you two paths. My son, give attention to what? Why? Why after telling you two different paths does he point, his, point you to the word? Does he say, don't worry about my, my word, you just figure out your Christian life your own way. Does he say, it's all right, you guys, you know, we've had the church on the planet now for 2,000 years, so we don't really need the word anymore. Let me ask you this. Psalm 1 and Proverbs 4 both link the path we're supposed to be on to his words, don't they? We've seen, we seen that twice now in two different passages. So what happens if we walk on a path that is different to the word? We're on the wrong path. Do you see what I'm saying? He, he links the path he wants you on to the path of his word. So what if we decide we don't need the word, we'll just figure it out as we go and we'll be good little Christians? Can that be done? No. Is there ever a time when the Christian no longer needs the word. Because we're very mature now. We're very advanced Christians. We, we, we've come a long way down the path. We don't need the word anymore. We can do other stuff in church. You know what? The enemy does not mind if we get distracted and we run around by, after lots and lots and lots and lots of different things in the church if all of those things distract us from the word. A lot of Christians that run after all kinds of things. You tell them to come get, get some teaching, get some word. No, I don't have time for that. But we've got time for all the other kinds of things. One of the biggest challenges God has with Christians, with believers, with churches, is to get them to walk in his word. He's had that challenge all the way since Adam and Eve. They only had one instruction, and they couldn't follow that one. One of the biggest challenges God has with human beings and even his own people, the church, is to get us to walk in the Word. You know, right after the Apostle Paul and the, new, the writing of the New Testament, right after the, kind of the, the Apostles Peter, James, John, and, and all of them died, well, it didn't take 100, 100, 150 years for the church to go roof right off the Word. 
And they didn't maintain the path, did they? It's amazing how, how we just so drift so easily off. But what is, dark, what, is, what is he saying in verse 20? My son, do what with my words? Give attention. <clears throat> Can a Christian properly get to where God wants them to get without the word? Here's, I'm glad you said no. We'd have to teach, we'd have to really fill in some blanks if we, we said, but, but maybe on the video, maybe someone says, yes, but you can get there by prayer. Jesus said, abide in me and let my word abide in you, and then you'll ask what you will, and it'll be given. You can't have a successful prayer life without walking in the word. In fact, go to Romans chapter 10. Someone says, I came to hear a really advanced message today. This is really basic. You know, maybe, maybe Owen should be teaching the, 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 the new believers beginners class. And, and he forgot that we're the advanced Christians. Do, do we all need to hear this again? Do we all? Yeah, we do. Why, why would a teacher need to come and go back onto something so foundational and basic? Because we have a tendency to drift off the word. And I'm convinced that the enemy does not mind how much churches and Christians, they don't, he doesn't mind how much activity you run around doing as long as it's not in line with the Word. Now, if it is in line with the Word, all that other activity is great. But we can't substitute the Word for all the other things. The Word's got to maintain central position. Someone says, no, no, what I, you know, what I need is healing. Do you know the Bible says he sent his word and healed them? Someone says, I need de deliverance. Well, read the rest of the verse. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. Someone says, I need the blessing of God on my life. What I really need is God to bless me. Well, what did he say in Psalm 1? We just read it. Blessed is the man. Doesn't walk in this path, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Will the word bring that blessing into your life? Someone says, I need freedom. Well, you know, that's another word for delivered, but someone says, I need freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free is not truth the word. In fact, Jesus said, thy word is truth. I could go on. You could, I could show you thing after thing after thing. The Bible says the word will get it to you. The word will get it to you. The word will get it to you. Someone says, I tried that and it didn't work. Then you didn't try it right. Now, I don't know about you. Anyone here ever learned to ride a bicycle? How many? If you're the only person who's learned to ride a bicycle, anyone? Okay, there's at least two. Or, okay, now the hands go up. Okay, now the hands go up. I was a bit surprised there. You can respond back to me. So most of us in here have learned to ride a bicycle at some time. You know, it might have been a long time ago. I don't know about you, but how many, how many of you got it right the first time? Yeah, a couple of hands went up. And the first time you sat on a bike, you pedaled, you never once fell off, you were perfectly per perfect at riding a bicycle. Yeah, you had stabilizers. And, and, then he, and, and then when they took the stabilizers off, you, you may, maybe fell off a few times, scraped your knee, 
Now, how many, how many of you fell off more than 10 times? <laughs> and how many of you fell off so many times you, you, you just wanted to throw the bike in the ditch and storm in the house and say, Dad, I'm never getting on a bike again. But by the next morning, he had you out on the bike again, didn't he? Because just because you can't get something to work the first time, the second time, the third time, doesn't mean you throw it out the window. If God says it works, it works. We as Christians, we just say, well, I tried the word, it didn't work, so I went to look for something else. Throw the word out the window. What, what should we do? We should be getting stronger and more determined with the word. Stick at it. Just because you fall off the bike doesn't mean there's something wrong with the bike. <laughs> yeah? Now look at Romans 10. Where did I say go? Romans 10. Verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire... Now, this is Paul writing here, but he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But my heart's design, pray to God for Israel, is that they may be saved. That's a good truth, but it's not the one I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for right now. Go to verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Who has a zeal for God? Israel. He's talking about Israel. But can, can, we, can we learn by the example of some things he teaches us using Israel. Of course, there's many places he uses Israel as an example for us. I've, I've quoted it many times, the children of Israel walking, going through the wilderness into the promised land. There's, it's examples. The Bible says it's an example. So someone says this is just written to Israel. No, 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 this is written to all of us. He's, he's using Israel as an example in what he's about to say. Are there some things we can learn about from it? Yes, there are. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Does anyone's Bible say anything different besides zeal? Everyone said zeal, yeah? What, what is zeal? Passion. Someone who's very zealous, is very passionate. So you all agree. Now, is zeal and passion a good thing or a bad thing? Do we want Christians to be zealous and passionate? How many pastors try to pump up and get their people to be more zealous and more passionate, more enthusiastic about church? Probably the heart of many pastors. I just wish the people were more enthusiastic. What do you do when you get a, a zealous, on, we might call on-fire Christian, who's very, very zealous, very passionate? That's when all the pastors go, yes, praise God, we got a, some excited ones in the church. There's nothing wrong with that by itself, is there? Now, so zeal is not wrong. But here he says, I bear them witness, they have a zeal for God. Now, just pause there. We'll read the rest in a moment, but put that together with verse 1. Brethren, my heart's design, pray to God, for Israel is what? So is he saying when he writes this, that they are saved or they're not saved. But I thought they were zealous. Was their zeal enough? No. You see, what he, them being zealous doesn't mean they got something. 
He's praying, I pray they get saved. He's trying to say they're not saved. And then the very next verse, he says they're a very zealous bunch. Is zeal going to get it for you? Is zeal going to get you a result? By itself, no. A zeal's a good thing. We want zealous Christians. But notice what he says next, verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What were they lacking? What knowledge? Knowledge of mathematics? Knowledge of science? Is zeal without knowledge okay and enough? No. Now many Christians think that's all you need, as long as he's zealous and he prays enthusiastically. You can be zealous and pray, but pray without knowledge and understanding of the word, and you'll pray wrong. Zealous prayers, not based upon knowledge, Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the word are insufficient. Now, someone here says, when you first rode your bicycle, you had training wheels. Training wheels help you. They support you. But do you need, should you drive, ride with the training wheels the rest of your life? At some point, the training wheels have got to come off. See, God, in our prayer lives, God supports and helps us along a little bit by letting us ride with some training wheels for a while. And, and sometimes we might be zealous and not have the word and, and not pray the way God wants us to pray, but we get away with it because of the training wheels. doesn't mean we're doing it right. It just means the training wheels are holding us up. I remember the first time I learned to drive. I had a driving instructor, and I got, I got in the car, and, and, and you know, hear, hear all these things about how difficult your first lesson is going to be, or, you know, it's gonna, you're going to have to learn how to clutch control, gear control, mirrors, everything, you know, keep the car in the same direction. Anyway, I'm driving along on my, 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 my first lesson, and I thought, this is not that difficult. It's quite easy. I haven't ground the gears once. I haven't, you know, all these things people say you're going to do and rev the car up because you didn't pull the clutch or pushed it too far. I don't know, whatever, the accelerator and the clutch didn't get my clutch control. And I thought, this, is, this driving stuff's not that bad. <coughs> anyway, I, got, I, I thought, this is easy. We'll be I'll be driving in a week, you know. Two lessons, I'll be get my pass my test. Easy stuff. Anyway, I got in, my, I got in the second lesson, and, and my second lesson was difficult. And I, I, I was... You know, got all, couldn't get the clutch control, ground the deals, get everything. And I thought, hold on, what's the second? What's wrong here? Well, how come the first lesson was so easy and the second lesson, everything's going wrong? And I realized this. My instructor had a dual set of controls on his side. And no matter how bad my clutch control was, he was handling it. But by the second lesson, he began to ease off and he wasn't quite doing his clutch control. He was wanting me to learn how to do some clutch control. Yeah? And that made it hard for a little bit. See, God's like, us, like this with us. 
When you first become a Christian, he sticks some training wheels in it on and he does a lot of it for you. And it just seems easy. You see young Christians, they just get their prayers answered like this. No matter how unbelieving, no matter how unword-based their prayers are, they just seem to get a miracle. And then after they've been a Christian a year or two, they can't seem to get a single prayer answered. And they well, I used to get my prayers answered easily. Yes, that doesn't mean you were praying right. It just meant you were on training wheels. But then God said, you can't live on the training wheels all the time. You need to learn how to pray properly. How does he want us to pray? According to his word. His word shows us the way to pray. And this is where God's getting a lot of resistance from a lot of Christians. Because a lot of Christians want to keep praying, unbelieving, doubt, fleshly prayers based upon how my mind tells me to pray, not how the word directs me to pray. And they think it's okay as long as we're zealous and enthusiastic. I've even heard people preach, doesn't matter how you pray as long as you're enthusiastic about it. That's a lie. We're hearing that kind of stuff from the pulpit. No wonder people are believing it. He's just told you there, zeal but not according to knowledge. Now, we've already seen from verse 1, this zeal with no knowledge... Did it, were they able to get saved on that zeal alone without the knowledge? No. What did they need? The knowledge. Because if you're zealous but don't have the knowledge, you're going to go about things the wrong way. And in fact, if you read the last, I won't do it right now, if you read the last few verses of the previous chapter, that's exactly what he says. Israel tried to get righteousness, but they didn't know how to get righteousness God's way. In fact, let's read that. Should we go back to chapter 9, verse 30? Verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. Now again, He's talking about righteousness, but actually, if you study the word, you'll find out that this underlying principle applies to other topics too. Could, you could, this could apply to healing. This could apply to answered prayer. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. What, is, what does it mean, have attained to? It means they got it, yeah? Would you agree with me? And then he says this, but Israel... Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Now, what does it mean to pursue something? Chase after, run after. Now, does it say Israel just sat around waiting for righteousness to fall on them? Doesn't it? Said they pursued it. And, and we know from two verses later, they were zealous. In other words, if you're pursuing something, you're trying to catch it, aren't you? You're trying to get it. So Israel is pursuing righteousness. They are zealous for God, and they're running after righteousness, trying to get it. Was that enough for them to get it? Many Christians think that's enough. As long as you 
run after it and you cry out to God however you want to pray. You know, forget all that. This, you must pray this way. Just pray any way you want to. Just be zealous and pursue your healing and you'll get it. Many Christians are finding they're not getting healed that way. Uh, some might because they're training wheels and someone else riding the clutch control. <laughs> But he says, Israel pursued the law of righteousness, but then he says, has not attained to. In other words, that means they did not get. Is it possible when it comes to the things of God to be zealous, enthusiastic, and run after trying to get something from God and still not get it? And you show me in this verse where it says the reason they didn't get it is because it, was the will of God, it wasn't the will of God for them to have it. Where does it in this verse say, well, no matter how much they pursued it, God didn't want them to have it. So God had foreordained that they would never have it. And therefore, all their zeal and passion and pursuing would come to nothing because God just decided it all. What does this passage locate as being the problem? Was it that God didn't want them to have it? Well, what do we see just two verses later? They had a zeal for God, but not according to? Knowledge. That lack of understanding about how to get what God was, wanted them to get meant, made all the difference. You can be zealous, try to pursue something, passionately pray, pour out your heart in prayer, but not have knowledge about how God tells us to pray <clears throat> and actually end up not getting it. Well, someone says, well, I did it that way and I did get it. Yeah, you got it because of training wheels. God carried you a little bit. He did the pedals on that prayer for a little bit. Doesn't mean he wants you to pray like that forever. God expects, God wants, it is God's intention, God's plan, God's expectation that the body of Christ grow up in knowledge and understanding of the word of God. Not having knowledge is, no, is not an excuse. How many people on the judgment day are going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I just didn't have the knowledge? And he's going to say, not actually an excuse, because the knowledge was available. <laughs> okay? And someone says, well, you know, you know but, but what if someone never heard? You know, there's a scripture in Romans which says no one will have excuse before God because even if they don't have a Bible, even if they don't hear the gospel, God has revealed himself in creation. And it says in there, no one is without excuse. Nobody will be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know, and you'll just have to let me into heaven. God will say the knowledge was available. Now, this might shock you. <laughs> Whose responsibility is it for me to know what I need to know spiritually? If I don't know it, can I blame God and say, well, it, it's your fault I didn't know it? If you look in, don't do it right now, but if you look in Proverbs again, Proverbs 2 says, get wisdom in all you're getting, get understanding. Who's the implied subject there? You get it. Some people think, that it's God's responsibility to make sure I know what I need to know. And if I don't know what I need to know, it's God's fault. That's not true. 
God said, you get wisdom. He also said, that was Proverbs 4, he also said in Proverbs chapter 2, that you need to search for it like hidden treasure. You need to get hungry for knowledge and understanding. I'm not talking about scientific knowledge, I'm talking about knowledge of the things of God. Does anyone know these scriptures? Do I need to look at them? I want to finish on Romans 10. That's why I'm not going to Proverbs 2 and 5. We'll forget about Romans 10. But you go look in Proverbs 2. He says, he puts the responsibility on us and he says, you search for it as for hidden treasure. The, the, the implication there is, if you don't get that knowledge, not his fault. He made it available. He inspired his word. He put his word on the planet. He put inside every human being the understanding that there is an eternity. If we push it away and don't pursue it, it's not his fault. Someone says, why didn't God tell them? Where, where did this idea came, come from that it's up to God to tell me everything I need to know? From the pulpit, sadly. And it's not scriptural. The Bible says you get it. The Bible says he who seeks will find doesn't say he who sits around blaming others that I don't have the knowledge will just get given the knowledge anyway. <laughs> God's looking for the ones who hunger for it, search for it, and begin to search out the knowledge of God. You know what will happen when you do that? His spirit will begin to reveal. Revelation will teach you his word. There's nothing in the Bible which says sit down ignoring God and, and anytime you need to know it, God will just make sure you know it. And if you don't, it's his fault. That's not scriptural. God's looking for the ones he'll seek after and understand. Now, that's a bit of a hard thing I just said, but it's actually true. You understand the word and the things of God. He puts it in our responsibility. He says, you get knowledge, you get wisdom, you get understanding. Yes, my word, go get it. If it sits on your shelf all day and you never get in the word of God, and then a crisis comes in your life and you throw out a zealous prayer with no knowledge and it goes wrong and you don't get a result, you can't blame God. You've got 15 Bibles on your shelf. You never read them. That's a hard message, but it's true. You see what I'm saying? Most of you know, know it. Um, so we won't go back there because I still want to finish in Romans 9 and 10 here. But the rest of Psalm 1, what does it say? Blessed is the man, and it says, it does not walk in the path. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does the next phrase say? And... Anyone know? And in his? Thank you. In his law, he meditates day and night. Now, what if you don't walk in the path of a sinner and you do delight in the law in the sense that you say, I love the word of God, but you never do the third phrase. You never meditate in it day and night. You just you, because that's too much effort. I love the word. Spend time on the word. Oh, I'm just too busy. The promise that comes next is for the person who does everything he's just listed, does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. So what about the one who doesn't meditate in the word day and night? What about the one who has 64? 65, I was trying to think of a number, 65 Bibles in multiple translations and multiple languages, but they all sit on the shelf all day, never opened. But they're very zealous for the Lord. What about that one? 
might get some training wheels results. But what has God said he want, what has God said his people must do? Get in the word. For three years at Bible school and then forget about it? No. How long? Lifetime. Walk with God in his word. Many Christians have lost their hunger and passion for the word. They know the word. They talk the word. They just don't spend time in it anymore. Now, let's go to Romans chat, uh, where we were in Romans 9. Do you see what I'm saying? I can't turn around to God and say, I didn't know when I've got 65 Bibles on my shelf, but I never read them. What did he say? You get knowledge and understanding. I had someone, in fact, this has happened to me more than once. Through my life, I've had people say, I wish I knew the Bible as well as you know the Bible. I look at them and I think, do you think it just floated down on me like ripe cherries off a tree and just filled my head or by itself? (laughs) <laughs> do you think I just stuck a Bible on my head and it downloaded itself into my brain and into my heart? How do you think it got in me? Did God just divinely give me understanding? No, no, no. He says, well, you're a teacher. That's why you understand the word. I know many teachers who don't understand the word. Just having a calling doesn't mean you're automatically going to do well at it. How does someone get filled with the word? By getting in it. Oh, it's dry. I don't want to get it. Now, you see, you're approaching it wrong. God said his words are life to those who find them, health to their flesh. Anyway, let's go back to Romans, um, Romans 9, verse 31. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. So it's possible to pursue something and not uh, something... Put it this way, it's possible for God to want you to have something, for you to be zealous for it, and for you to pursue after it and still not get it. Why? If you don't pursue it the right way. That was the one missing ingredient with Israel here, isn't it? Can, Can you see that in this passage? And then he explains, they didn't seek it. Verse 32, why? Why didn't they get it? Because, and he answers this. This is one of the very few times in the Bible where he asks the question why and he answers it right afterwards. How many of you know why is one of the most common questions Christians have? Why? Why didn't this work? Why didn't I get my prayer answered? Why didn't I get healed? Why did that? Why, 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 why? It's incredible because if you study the, if you study the New Testament, you'll find every single time the question why is answered, why something didn't work, the answer is always the same. Remember, Jesus' disciples couldn't cast the, the, the spirit out of that man. And, and, and Jesus came, Jesus sorted the situation out. And then Jesus, afterwards, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast it out? Well, and you know what Jesus said? The first, first five words, I was trying to count it. First five words out of his mouth, because of your unbelief. He answered their question right there. And then he explained to them why they were in a condition of unbelief because they'd let their flesh rule and they weren't walking with God. But, but it's the same answer here. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. That tells me this. The, the, in order to get it, it had to be sought the correct way. 
I'm not talking about faith tonight. I'm, I'm trying to show you something. something uh, uh, do you see this? They didn't get it. Why? Because God didn't want them to have it? Because they were not zealous enough? Because they weren't pursuing it hard enough? No, because they didn't pursue it the right way. There's preachers that'll lead you to believe. It doesn't matter how you pursue it. As long as God wants you to heaven, as long as you're passionate enough, you'll get it, brother. No. <laughs> That's not in line with the scripture. This Bible says they didn't get it. But why? They didn't seek it the right way. There was a specific way they had to go after it. And that was the only way that God was going to let them get it. Now, does it say that God thought, well, oh, no, poor them. They're not seeking it the right way. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to give it to them anyway. Does it say that? No, it says they just did without. They just didn't get it. Now, this is in the New Testament. This is for us to learn from. Does, do you think it's possible we could, there could be things in our life this could happen to us for? Oh, no, brother, we're in the New Testament. God's a loving God. He'll just give it to you anyway. Romans is in the New Testament. The same grace and mercy and loving God we're under, Romans is written in this church period. <laughs> okay? And he's showing you they didn't get it, but, but he's using them as an example for us. What's the lesson? There are some things, if you don't pursue them the right way, you won't get them. And it has to be pursued that way and only that way. <clears throat> now let's go to, back to chapter 10. Read verse 2, but we'll go on to verse 3. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. Now, that makes a bit more sense now. We filled in some of the blanks by looking a few verses earlier, haven't we? Then he comes back to righteousness again, because actually there was no chapter break in the original. We've put chapter 10, verse 1. That wasn't there. It continues right on from what he was saying at the end of chapter 9. And then verse 3, he says, For they, that's Israel, yeah, being ignorant what's ignorant well that lines up with what he just said a moment ago but not they, they had zeal but not according to knowledge they being ignorant of god's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of god Why? It all started with ignorance. A lack of knowledge. They didn't know God's way of making them righteous, so they tried to get the same thing, righteousness, but they tried to get it their way. They were pursuing righteousness, but they were pursuing it their way, and they didn't get it. Very, very important point here. Can we go after something that God wants us to have? Did God want them to have righteousness? Did God want them? Of course he did. 
God wants us all to be righteous. Wants, wants, it's his desire. I mean, we, we're walking in it. But unsaved Savior, he wants every human being to have that. That would be his desire. God wanted them to have it. But the problem is they tried to get it their way. They went after the right thing the wrong way. And they didn't get it. How about this one? Now, please, I'm not trying to twist the word of God. I'm just using this as a, this is a little paraphrase to illustrate something. This is my, my version. Okay? Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the church is that they may be healed. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. There's no shortage of zeal and passion, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's way of healing them and seeking to get healing their own way, have not submitted to God's way of healing them. You see my point? You put anything in there to be true. God has a particular way he wants us to walk. I wonder where we find out that way. Do you think God's just keeping us in the dark about it? He's given us his word. We're back to the word again. The word of God reveals the way of God and reveals the way God wants us to function. Now, what if we're a good little Christian, but we're doing it a different way? Remember what the way, we're on paths again. Two paths, two ways. What if I'm trying to get godly things, God's power, God's things in my life, but I'm trying to get them my way, the way I think they should come? I'm not going to walk in it. What have we got to do? We have to find out how he says these things come and adjust our way to his way and walk in that way and that way will produce the results that he's bringing into our lives. And what way is that? The way of the word. What happens if the enemy can keep Christians Constantly getting off the word. It's going to keep. It's going to keep us in darkness, wandering around in circles, wondering why we can't get results, why we can't get things functioning in our life, why we so hungry for God to move, but God just never seems to move. Is God just going to say it's all right, guys? We'll just do it your way. No, He says you got to do it my way. And it's not because He's just mean and controlling. It's because His way is the right way. Any other way apart from his way is walking in the way of darkness on the other path. So the more we conform our lives to the word of God, the more we conform our lives to his way, the more we do it the way the word says do it, the more we will be doing it the way God wants us to be doing it. What happens if we keep drifting off and doing it a different way? Then God's got to try and get us back onto the word. Now, now let's go to back to Psalm 1. 
I know this is, this is basic in one sense, but I, hope, I, I, trust, I, trust, I trust you're getting something out of this. Is, is there ever a point where we're so far in the things of God that as a church we can just leave the word aside? Jesus said the sower sows the word. Remember the parable of the sower? He says, these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. Satan comes immediately and does what? What does that tell you the devil's after? So if we get off the word and get out of the word and let him steal the word, then we've let the devil accomplish his intentions. If we refuse to get off the word, that's one of the most frustrating things you can do to the devil. Because the thing he's trying to get us out of is the word. It doesn't matter if we play church. What happened? What happened in the first few centuries of the church? Like I said, after you know the apostles died, after these things, and man's traditions got taught in the church instead of instead of the things of God. Let me ask you this: Were they still going through the motions of church? Did they still have church services? Did people still go to church once a week? Do you think they maybe prayed? Do you think they maybe did some of the things they had continued to done, but, but they started teaching something different, man's ideas? What happened? The glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God all began to lessen and lessen and lessen in the church. In other words, you can go through all the other motions, but if you change this one factor and get off the word, we're going to drift right off course. And you can still continue going through all the other motions. Someone says, well, no, if, if God's presence wasn't there, you know, you wouldn't have, for example, prophecy. Oh, really? You don't think these demon spirits that would accommodate people and, you know, still, you can still have certain manifestations and be way off the things of God. It's not all about manifestation. There's a, there's a passage in the Bible where a prophet lied to, it says he knew he lied. He lied to another prophet and said, thus saith the Lord, and he led him right off track by giving him a false prophecy, and he intentionally lied to him. Can people do that? Can you have manifestations that aren't of God? And I'm not saying, please understand me, I've taught on the manifestation, the miraculous. But just because there's manifestations happening, does that mean that church is flowing with God? What's the one thing God's trying to get his church functioning in? His word. Now believe me, if you do it the way of the word, you will have godly manifestations. See, I believe in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I just do not believe in the false manifestations. Okay? When Moses threw his staff down, were the, were the magicians of Israel able to throw theirs down as well? Is it possible to have manifestations and not even be remotely close to God? What happens as a church if we're running after the manifestations all the time? Yes. The Bible says these signs will follow. Who? Three, two or three preachers. These signs will now, if something's following me, is it in front of me or behind me? It's behind me. If it's in front of me and I'm running after it, then I'm following it. The Bible says these sons will follow believers. It doesn't say believers will follow these sons. What should we be following 
and have sons following us. We should be following the word. And the sons follow us. But many believers throw the word out and they follow the sons. Is this too strong a message? What's God wants? God wants a church that will walk in his word. And believe me, that kind of church will have the manifestation of the glory and the power and the presence of God. It'll have prophecy, it'll have word of wisdom, it'll have not word of knowledge. But you can have all those other things, take the word out, have all those other things, and there's no guarantee it's even coming from God sometimes. Amen? Psalm 1, verse 1. Well, we won't read the whole thing, but he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 2, he delights in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. What will happen to this person? Well, you know, brother, you spend too much time in the Bible, you're going to dry up as a Christian. You know, that's dry. I've had people say teaching's dry. The Bible's dry. You know, you, 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 you're not going to have dry. You know, there's too much teaching in that place. It's so dry. I'm like, they're teaching something wrong. Because the Bible says God's word is like rain. It doesn't say it's dry. <laughs> Maybe teaching tradition and man's ideas, but it's not, if, if it's true Bible, it ain't dry. It's anointed. It's got life to it. What does he say about the person who, who meditates in the word day and night? Well, he'll dry up as a Christian. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says he will be like a... Let me, let me pause here for a moment. He has an interesting thought. Does it say anything else that this person needs? Believe me, I believe in praise and worship. We had some wonderful worship today. I believe in prayer. We have prayer every day. But does it say that those are the things that are going to make him like a tree? No. Those are support. They come around it. But you can have all of those things without the word and end up with nothing. The one factory says it's going to cause a person's life to become like a tree planted by the rivers. How many of you have ever seen trees planted by the rivers? Are those the most luscious trees, the greenest? The, the best trees? Does he, does he say you need all the other things to become like that kind of tree? Or does he say my word will do it? Yeah. Why do we keep drifting off the word? Trying to get these to be like a tree planted by the rivers another way. We're doing exactly what Israel did. We're trying to get it our way. Why? Very often because of lack of knowledge. What does God say? Stick with my word. Walk in my word. Get filled with my word. Meditate in my word. Don't ever let go of my word. Stay in my word. Hold to my word. Even when it looks like it fails and you fall off the bicycle, get back onto my word. And my word will work in your life. Do in your life what it needs to do because his word contains his power, contains his life, light, his freedom, blessing, healing, deliverance. It's all in the word. He shall be like a tree. Well, did Jesus say his word is a seed? Where do trees come from? Well, I mean, I'm not a, you know, an expert, but the basic idea is there, yeah? Grows from, from something like a seed. So how does this person's life become like a tree? This person has planted the seed of the word in their life. And then they've taken the word and they've watered it. And Because the, the, the word is also the water that waters the seed. It's the rain. Isaiah 55. 
It says, as the rain comes down from heaven, and then the next verse says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my soul. His word is like the rain. His word is like a seed. What happens when you water a seed, you nurture a seed, or you plant a seed properly, and you nurture it and water it, and you keep watering, and you keep giving it the right attention it needs? Grows. He says, you put my word in your life like a seed. You keep putting it in. You keep watering it. You keep putting in. What will happen? That word will grow up in you and become that tree, that solid tree that's planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth fruit in your life. What did it? Yeah, the word. How many think that would be nice to have? I think so. So what's tonight's message? To call back to the word. To call back to the word. To call to stir up the word of God in our lives. Many of us have stirred up prayer, and that's good. There's been a stirring of prayer in the church, but we need a re-stirring of the word more than ever before. Because we need a word-based church to arise, and we need a, a church that will not back off the word and that will teach the word properly without, without man's ideas muddling into it. And we need believers that actually get into their Bibles and walk with God in the word of God on a daily basis and spend some time reading the word, spending time in the word, and, and growing in the word. If we're ever going to get where God wants us to get as a body of Christ and as an individual Christian. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that your word is alive. Your word is powerful. Your word is, 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 is truth. And Father, I pray that, that, that this message will really strike a chord and stir a hunger in people to get, to, to get back in the Word. We don't want to just go through the, the motions and the activity of Christianity without walking in the Word in our lives. And if we want to really get to the place that God wants us to get to and experience and receive from Him the things that He has for us, then we need to walk in His Word. So Father, we, just, we want to walk in Your Word. Help us to get a hold of that. Help us to really just... Get a hold of this truth once and for all and to, to walk in and function in your word the way, the way that you've said, Lord, in Jesus' name. Because his word works. His word works. Don't, don't let the enemy talk you out of that. And it, like I said, even if you've tried it and you've tried to put principles into practice and you've, it didn't quite work, don't get discouraged. Get back up on your feet. Cry out to God for knowledge and understanding. Seek his face. He'll teach you. He'll show you. And, and, and you'll learn how to get it to work. And believe me, once you learn how to get it to work, you'll be so excited you'll do it again in another area. And you'll be so excited and you'll start learning how to get results with the word of God in your life. One area after another, after another, after another. That's an amazing walk with God. Amen. God bless you all. And uh, thank you for joining us on this lovely sunny day. Gorgeous and hot. And good to see you. I know so it's summertime, so a few people have said they're on holiday already. But that's all right. God's blessed. Thank you. Anyone, anyone have anything they want to say or share or ask before I finish? No? Okay. Yeah.
Yeah, when you, when, you, when you get into the Word, certainly have that faith in your 